Have you wondered what life will look like two or more years down the road from your bariatric surgery? Maybe you're there now and wonder if others at the two-year mark deal with the same things you do. Coming up, Rob joins me to share what life is like two years plus down the track and what he's faced along the way. It's very insightful. You don't want to miss it. Get ready for the holidays and new year. ProCare has a new multivitamin soft chew that comes with three delicious fruit flavors. With flexible dosing, you can accommodate your whole family's vitamin needs, and it even includes iron. Paired with calcium chews and our new protein powder. Visit ProCareNow.com and use code SUSAN10 to save 10%. Hi, I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Dr. Susan Mitchell, ex-radio dietitian turned podcaster. You're listening to the Bariatric Surgery Success Podcast, episode 121. Are you ready to cut through the nutrition and health hype? Get some solid answers you can count on. I want you to feel well every single day. Get out there. Do the things you want to do. This podcast is for you. I want to give a shout out today to Melissa who said, I just found the podcast and I'm really glad. Learning a lot already. I'm listening on my drive to work. Well, Melissa, yay. I'm glad you found the podcast and that you've learned a lot already. Makes me smile. Thanks so much for telling me. Well, Rob is joining me today from New Jersey. We connected on Instagram where he openly shares his life since surgery almost two and a half years ago now. His posts let you see what he deals with day to day and how he's handling it. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Susan. Thanks for having me. Okay. You know, I always have to do that share your backstory. So before we get into what life is like now, would you just back up a little, tell your backstory about what was going on in life that led you to have surgery almost what, two plus, two and a half years ago now, right? Yeah. Uh, June 2020 was my surgery date. So to lead up in all that real quick, um, I was always a relatively heavy kid who struggled with my weight. I would go through points where uh, I started playing football in high school. I would lean out. I'd go to college. I gained the freshman 15 every year. Um, then I got out of college. I started to work out again. I'd lose some of this weight. And I would just roller coaster my weight uh, throughout my life while slowly uh, losing 50 pounds and then gaining 70. So it was this constant drop, pick up, drop, pick up until eventually I found myself at about 365 pounds at uh, summer of 2019. Essentially, I went to my pulmonologist and he told me that I was burning out my CPAP machine because I had sleep apnea. Uh, in true fashion, I told him, well, just get me the next size up. And he told me, you, look, you don't understand. <laughs> You're at the highest grade CPAP that we have on the market. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, well, if I burn it out, what does that mean? He's like, there's a good chance that you could go to sleep and just not wake up. And I'm like, oh, like when I'm 60, he's like, no, like within two to three years, you need to lose weight immediately. Uh, so I came home. Uh, my wife asked me how my doctor's appointment went. And I said, it was fine. I got to go do work. And I went down to the basement and my wife figured something was up because I'm a teacher. So there's really nothing to do in July. Uh, but I started researching. I found a bariatric surgical center. And in the summer of 2020, I had bariatric surgery. Well, you know, I have to say, that's pretty much in your face what he told you. It's very matter of fact and, and very in your face. And I think many people listening, Rob, can relate to the roller coaster up and down of weight over the years. I've tried every diet I've lay, you know, I've gained, I've lost, I've gained, I've lost. And so I think people hear that and they get it. But to actually have someone 
get in your face and say, hey, you've burned out the CPAP machine and, and this is what's going to happen. It really made you, you know, you stopped dead in your tracks. And, and what you did, though, and made that decision was huge. So you were told that. Were you concerned about anything going into the surgery or were you just like, this is what it is. I've got to do it. It, it was a whole struggle for me. I mean, I, I've been a mental health advocate uh, for the last couple of years because I did not realize how much of what I was doing was connected to my emotions, my mental health. Uh, I'm an emotional eater. Uh, when I'm under stress, I tended to use food and alcohol. Uh, so it was natural to gain weight throughout this whole process. Um, even when I went to my primary care physician and told him what the pulmonologist said, he was like, I actually recommended weight loss surgery to you two years ago, and I still have the referral letter. So it's one of those that people have tried to tell me that I've needed this process and procedure. And it's one of those things that sometimes you don't hear the message until you absolutely have to. And when my pulmonologist finally said, look, you're coming into a life or death situation, that's when I realized I needed to make a change. Yeah, I'm so glad that you did and that you heard that message. And I really love what you just said a minute ago, Rob, about bariatric surgery and eating and emotional eating and that the tie to mental health. As a nutritionist, one of the reasons that I brought Dr. Connie Stapleton in to join me Love every her. six weeks is because I know that um, I need to stay in my lane, but yet every day there are so many mental health questions that tie directly into how and why we eat. And so I deal with that in, but I also know that, as you just said, if you don't look at what's going on from a mental health perspective, you're going to miss a huge part of being successful. Yeah. And can I just say, um, Connie Stapleton's book, Weight Loss Surgery Does Not Cure Your Addiction to Food, might have been the biggest game changer of my life is when I realized that it wasn't so much what I was eating, it was the why I was eating. Oh, and I'm so glad. She'll just, love hearing that. <laughs> yes. Please, please tell her. That's like one of my life goals is to meet her as well, uh, just because she really does cut through a lot of the things that are issues that we just do not address. I think yeah. one of the biggest issues we have in, uh, the, you know, for obese people and getting back into shape, we all kind of have this weird association that if we want to get uh, the weight to come off, we need to work out more. And we never really address the fact that it's really a lot more nutrition than fitness. And it's also the why you're put, picking up the fork or going into the pantry as much as what you're eating when you get there. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So important to address it. And the emotional eating aspect is huge. And, and you have to also bring in what's going on the, with the family. So when you made this decision, did you have family and or friends support? Yes, I, I always joke. Um, I had the best support team that you could have imagined. Um, the medical group that I had was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I can't stress University of Penn does an amazing job and their bariatric center is amazing. I still see my surgeon. I had a hernia in the uh, summertime and it's the same surgeon who did my bariatric surgery. And he just spent an hour with me telling me how happy he was that I'm moving, I'm working out to uh, such a big level that I tore my abdominal wall, but that's another story. Um, but it started with the surgical team and they held space where they actually had a friends and family night where you could bring friends and family to learn about bariatric surgery. And I was able to have my wife come. My mom and dad came. Um, when I really sat down, they 
in those sessions, they really taught me how can I speak to my friends and family to make a positive impact of why I need this surgery. And then it really became a process. I started with my inner circle of friends. And when I told them and explained where I'm at in my life, so many of them realized like, I didn't know you were at a life or death situation. And how can I help you? Um, my friend Tom walked with me every day after surgery and made sure I would, he would stay with me, uh, until I made sure I hit my water goal for the day. So I didn't dehydrate myself that summer. Uh, I have another friend, Jared, who would call me every morning at 5am to make sure I was out of bed and getting ready to go to the gym. Um, I have my friends, Matt and Jim, who, when I go on my long walks, I used to do 15,000 steps a day. Uh, I could call them and they would pick up and they would talk me through so that even if they couldn't walk with me, they would be a voice for me to listen to. And yeah, that's, a, that's just incredible. What a wonderful yeah. group of supportive friends. I'm very impressed with what your surgical center did because you and I've talked before that many people don't, they don't tell they're having surgery. They don't tell their family and they don't tell their friends because they haven't had the support that they need. And that's critical for the outcome that you want two and a half years down the road is to be able to have that supportive friends. I mean, I'm loving, I'm listening to what you just said, fun activities instead of food. So they get you up, they get you moving. Like they say, let's go on walks. Let's, um, you know, do what you said. I believe that you play pickleball and other yes. activities yes. You know, instead of food and alcohol, you switched it. That's huge. One of, That's absolutely one of the huge. Pr- yeah. One of the proudest relationships I had was with my brother, Mike. Um, when I would see Mike, we would go out, it would be for food and drink and do everything. And he really retooled me of, you know what, we're going to go Sunday mornings and we're going to play pickleball. And I was absolutely horrible at it. He put up with me being terrible, but he actually (laughs) seriously though, the fact that someone is patient to teach you a skill uh, and him and his friends really embraced me. And it was a great Sunday routine and it was just finding joy in my movement as opposed to treating movement as punishment, which so many of us do uh, when we're bigger or when we're struggling on this journey. So I can't stress enough. People need to find and accept people who are in the community who are going to help them stay positive. I totally agree. I'm thinking about you right before you had surgery. There is that what I call the getting ready for surgery stage, and it can be kind of difficult. Was it difficult for you and how is it difficult and what helped you? So yes and no. There's there's so many different levels of this. Um, when I started with Penn, it was they outright said it's a nine month process just to see if you are going to be mentally and physically ready uh, with everything that you do. And one of the joys is they actually give you uh, what I call the bariatric bible. But most surgical centers, from what I hear, they give it to you after the surgery, like as you're being discharged, be like, here's everything you need to know. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Goodbye. And I'll see you later. Penn actually gave it about nine months ahead of time. And they had bariatric behavior goals that they just wanted you to pick up one every three weeks and start doing it. It was simple things like chew your food 30 times, put your fork down in between bites, um, sit down and have an intentional meal. And that'll be the only time you eat. And as I slowly built up these, built up these behaviors, I found that I was being more successful in just living a life that I could sustain after surgery. And I actually lost 50 pounds right up until uh, my surgery. And you know, I want to say something right there. You just, it's really important that before the surgery, you picked up habits and made them part of your lifestyle that would carry you after surgery. That's a great step. That is a non-scale victory. It's really, really important because by doing that ahead of time, you're not so overwhelmed after you go through surgery. Did you find that? 
Yes. Um, I realized I had the playbook and the skills ready and set. Um, as a teacher, I'm a super prep plan person. So it was, okay, first two weeks, uh, all clear liquids. This is what I'm going to do. This is when I'm waking up. This is how I'm going to hydrate. This is when I'm going to get my steps. And I really committed myself to building these lifelong habits. And one of the reasons I think I found success is I'm still doing the habits and behaviors that I learned pre-surgery and that I continued after surgery. That's excellent. But I want you to talk about, too, how really hard it was and that you told me you had to dig really deep. Yes. Talk about the dish towel. Yes. Okay. (laughs) We're dancing around it. You know, we got to get to it. Um, The first two, the two weeks going up to surgery, it's an all liquid diet. And it's really tough because uh, like many big people, we do this food funeral week three. So massive soup sushi trays, every pizza place. I thought I was never going to eat food again. And then you go into the two weeks prior to surgery and like everything else, first two days, you're like, okay, I got this protein shakes. I'm all liquid. I'm good. Great. Day three. Okay. It's hurting a little bit, but you know, this is what I signed up for day 10. Okay. This is really torturous. I don't know (laughs) if I'm going to make it day 12. I was cleaning up. It was uh, Friday, Friday is pizza night in our household. And obviously I couldn't eat pizza, but I'm cleaning up and I wiped off the counter, uh, some pizza sauce that one of my daughters had left on there. And it was on the dish towel. And for a second, I actually looked at the dish towel and started to put it to my mouth. And my wife actually caught me. He's like, are you going to eat the dish towel? And I was like, <laughs> yes. And I realized like, yeah, it hurts. So, you know, it's not all easy. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, right. but it's so worth it. And that's what I wanted you to share. That but it yes, is that, tough. that's the dish towel story. Yeah, I, I had to laugh out loud when you said you practically lick the dish towel because that's real. And that's what it takes to get through this. But you have done it and other people can do it equally as successful. Um, and now fast forwarding the dreaded scale. What has been yes. your relationship with the scale since surgery? So this is always a weird and sensitive subject because when I hear so many voices in the community, I feel like this is a very divisive issue. Yes. I feel like half the community will say you need to throw out the scale. It's about your body should just feel good and look good. If you're happy with your progress, that's good. And then there's the other half who really treat it as the scale is the ultimate number. Um, I fluctuate between the two of them, but one thing I've learned from tracking uh, fitness, food, and finances is every morning I check my bank account statement and I get on the scale and I only check it that one time per day. And that to me at least lets me know where I am as a data point in my life every morning. And I know what I have to do and what I have to play with to get through my day. Well, so, I agree with that. And I I don't think the scale is the end all be all at all. I'm much bigger on non-scale victories. And what happens with what you just said, that you just check in and you weigh, this is a really positive thing because it just tells you a moment in time, here's where I am. And these are things, okay, I can tweak, I can not tweak based on where I am, but you don't let it rule your life. It just kind of tells you where things are. But I'd like you to focus on, and you do this too, how do your clothes fit? How do I feel physically? What is my energy level like? Am I able to walk up and down the stairs? all of those things. So the scale is a great check-in, but it's the non-scale victories where I really like to focus. And I want you to share, because you have a lot of those, like weightlifting, pickleball, things like that. Talk about your non-scale victories. 
I, I'm living my best life. Um, let, let's start with uh, my scale and how I slowly drifted away with it. So my lowest weight was last October at about 210. And it was just one of those that I realized my body looked almost spindly or like a greyhound, like the skin was just hanging off of me. And I wasn't moving or feeling as well as I did initially. So one of the things I really focused on was getting into weightlifting. And one of the biggest troubles that you have is when you're building muscle, the number on the scale is going to go up. Yes. And initially. Something initially. That, yes. <laughs> yes. And it goes down and it fluctuates throughout it. But as you build on muscle, I realized that my body looked so much better, 10 to 15 pounds heavier than it did at my lowest weight because I had the muscle on me. It changed how I fit into my clothes and it changed just how I moved. And, it was and I think it's important, that, let me yeah. say right here, because when you're saying you put on 10 or 15 pounds, but you put on muscle, big difference than if mm -hmm. you put on 10 or 15 pounds of fat, because the muscle is your fat burning machine. So it allows you to eat more. It allows you to enjoy a little more regular food in terms of portion sizes, your muscles burning, you're stronger, your clothes fit better, all of those things. So I totally think that's a smart thing that you did is learn to weight lift or get into uh, it. Maybe you did it before and just started again. Yeah. It was one of those things that I enjoyed lifting, uh, when I was thinner. Um, and I picked that up in high school from playing football and would continue it on again and off again through college and afterwards. But I really committed myself to realizing that if I wanted to make long-term lasting change, I had to find long-term lifestyle things that I really like to do. So I built my schedule around finding activities that I really like, like doing, um, yoga, um, every morning or getting to the gym at 5am. And I realized that, uh, being a parent, a father, a teacher, a tutor, a coach, life happens in the afternoon. So the more I could put my goals or put my workout at 5am, it allowed me to realize that I had the freedom for the rest of the day to be present and show up for the people who supported me when I needed to do it. That's an excellent, excellent point for everyone to hear. I love that you're a teacher because you give back in so yes. many ways and people are constantly looking to you for all kinds of questions. So talk about how surgery has affected those at school, students, faculty, friends, as they've watched your journey. Has it changed them at all? I think, I think the best thing I can do is I can set an example. Um, my staff was super supportive of me. Uh, I got the surgery in the summer of 2020. To, so to kind of set the stage, we were in full-blown pandemic point. So no one had seen me since March when I was about 325. The next time that I got in front of them, I was at about 275. So I was 50 pounds less than anyone had noticed. Um, and everyone was really just very supportive. I think as a teacher, the best example you can give your students is by example. Uh, and I'm someone who believes in teaching positivity and doing circles in the morning. So we check in with our students with just simple questions of what's one positive thing you did this weekend or what's one thing that you did for yourself. And I share with them, you know, waking up early and getting a workout in puts me in the right mindset to be in front of you and spend the day with you. And it was nice to see how many kids resonated of starting your day on a positive note really did help them feel positive throughout the day. 
Oh, gosh, I think this is wonderful what you're doing. And I love that you show both students and colleagues how this time management and how these healthy choices that you make early in the morning when others might be catching that last wink or two, right, before they get up, and how doing all these things makes a difference in the beginning of your school year now that you're into and how that September, October, November is going to go for you. But what they see you live out day to day that's so impressive. Yeah, so- it's um, it's one of those positive things. I always joke I survive September. I kind of scale back on personal engagements during that month uh, just so that I can keep a healthy balance and focus in school. But one of the fun things I show the kids is how to live intentionally. And I show them my Google Calendar. And I say, look, if you want to get everything done and get your goals done, it's possible. But you have to be intentional with every hour of your day if you want to achieve your dreams. And it's amazing watching how many kids learn to use their Google Calendar. Uh, that is so Impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. Okay. What I want you to talk about now is we've, people have been saying, yeah, yeah, but get to what it's like now. You're two years plus down the road. Talk about how life is different. What does Rob's day look like now? My, my day is so much different than when I was 365 pounds. I guess to paint the full picture, um, we could look at an NFL Sunday. To give you an idea, um, NFL Sunday for me is sacred. I live in the Philadelphia area. I love the Eagles. We are 4-0. and This is like my victory time. I am so happy. And I'm sure by this time that it airs, they'll probably lose a game. But on that happy note, an NFL Sunday at 365 pounds would have started on Saturday night, uh, where I probably would have had a couple adult beverages and then wake up hungover and have pancakes, bacon, sausage. I'd essentially make my own Grand Slam. Um, and then I would have, uh, Italian hoagies, which is kind of like, uh, I guess a sub or a grinder, how they call it in the rest of the world, but Mm -hmm. cured meat sandwiches with all the salt, chicken wings, uh, more adult beverages, and then red wine with uh, a meatball and gravy Sunday dinner, because I'm Italian. Long story short, I would consume about 6,000 calories at 365 pounds on an NFL Sunday. Okay. And Um, that's honest. Thank you for being so open about this. And that was one of the things that really helped me is I started tracking my food when I was 365 and Penn actually said, look, we just want you to track just to see where you're at. And it was just revelatory. The two big data points that I always like resonated with me was 6,000 calories on an NFL Sunday. And from tracking my finances, I was spending $700 a month on sneak eating. Sneak eating being like I packed my breakfast, lunch and dinner, but in between uh, getting home, I might stop at McDonald's. So like $700 wow. of fast food that wasn't even going to my wife and kids. And so we think about over a year, what you can do with that from vacations to things at home to all kinds of things. Absolutely. I've actually moved that money uh, the first couple months. Every time I beat a binge episode or a sneak eat, I would put $10 into a piggy bank in my bedroom. And after I collected the first $700, I bought a treadmill and then I slowly built a home gym down in my basement, which I joke is this is the gym that McDonald's built. Uh, essentially because all the food. (laughs) That's a great way to look at it. (laughs) Exactly. It's the house of Taco Bell. But essentially, um, 
you know, looking at how I was wasting money and wasting my time on making myself worse really did have it. And now my Sunday mornings are I wake up, I do yoga, I get to the gym, um, I get my steps done before the games. And then I kind of sit and I just enjoy the game with uh, my wife and kids if they want or by myself if they want to go out and do their thing. And then I cook a healthy and moderate dinner on Sunday. So just changing from a 6,000 calorie NFL Sunday to a 1,800 to 2,200, depending on what my macro goals are uh, during the season, just shows that it's a lot of work, but the results are so much more amazing. And I'm just so happy with how I feel Monday morning when I can yeah, still go in. This is, it's so out. terrific what you've done. And how do you still find that you sneak eat, sneaky eat or sneak eat anymore very often? There's that it gone. Com- it comes on. I don't want to, I don't want to sit there and tell people like, Oh, I don't sneak eat anymore or that I don't have that craving. Right. It still hits me. There's still days when I'm tired and there's days that I don't want a bariatric, as I call it, uh, where it's I just I kind of want to go back and I want to have Taco Bell or I want to have McDonald's or I want to have fast food. And it's one of those things that now it's one of those things. It's very, very rare that I do it. But when I do, I take it as this is going to be a meal I'm having. I'm going to intentionally work it into my day. And I'm going to stay super lean and clean throughout the rest of Without guilt. Because I think what happens so often is the sneak eating, whatever you want to call it, happens. And then you beat yourself up. Why did I do that? Oh, I'm, I'm an epic failure, this and that. And it just happens. We all have those cravings. And you have to just say, you know what? I did it. I enjoyed every bit of it. Onward. No guilt. Yeah. One of my favorite skills that's really helped me and from working with my therapist and everything else is I advance track. So um, if you read anything like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird were both infamous of, they would visualize foul shots and practice taking shots in their head throughout the entire uh, airplane trip to when they would go play basketball. And it's one of those things that I really do sit down the night before and I intentionally map out what am I going to eat through the day. I put it in my tracker so that I know when that craving comes or when I'm feeling weak, I know what my next meal is going to be. I know it's something that I love and delicious. And I also keep a 600 calorie bank. Uh, so that if I am in the break room, I love freaking out my colleagues. Now I'll pick up a jelly donut and I'll eat it right in front of them. And they'll start the, Oh, you can't have that. And I'm like, watch me. Watch me. I'm going to eat it and I'm going to savor it. Yeah. Oh, I love that part. Savor it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the thing I think I wish more people understand is it's this tough balance of if you're going to have the cookie, eat the cookie, but don't shame eat the cookie. (laughs) Sit down and savor what you're having and make sure that the rest of your day is good. And the more you do that, the better I think you'll heal your relationship with food. I agree. As you said, you call it shame. I call it guilt. Not allowed. You've got to let that yes. go. So before we wrap up, what are your health goals now? Any challenges you still face you want to conquer or anything special you want to do? Your big, What's your biggest health goal? Um, so I kind of change my health goals consistently. Uh, when I look at everything, I look at it as I have a seven-year battle uh, to maintain my weight. Almost all the research and data on bariatrics says that you have more than a 10% chance of regaining the weight within your first seven years. And that number starts very high if you gain weight in your first year and slowly goes down. So I joke that I'm in a seven-year street fight. Uh, My first year, I committed to 15,000 steps a day. I made it for 415 days. Uh, This year, I'm taking a year of sobriety to really reset my relationship 
relationship with alcohol. Um, and I started getting into biking and I was really excited. Uh, two weekends ago, I was able to complete a 75 mile bike ride from one end of the state of New Jersey down to the shore. Um, when I did it originally at over 300 pounds, it took me eight and a half hours and I completed it in uh, five hours and 58 minutes. So it's consistently rechanging the goals, finding new loves throughout my life and just continuing to look for that seven year mark. Congratulations. You've just you. uh, done so many wonderful things and your mindset is so positive. So as we wrap up, as you look back on the surgery and you look at the success you've had and the success you have now and the plans for the upcoming seven years, what's the number one thought you want to leave us with? The people that might be going, oh gosh, I'm not there. I, I want to be there. Or I can do this. What would you leave us with? Um. I think the most important thing I can share with everyone is the importance of community and connecting with people who understand what it's like to have bariatric surgery, but also that you are consistently finding new ways to inspire yourself and working on the mental aspect of this process. Uh, bariatric surgery is a great opportunity for you to reset and rebuild your relationship with food, but it does take mental work and work sometimes with a therapist to fix your relationship with food to have lifetime success. Thank you, Rob, for being so open and sharing tough stuff. Your positive mindset, your love of challenges will help and empower so many others. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Now, remember, two years down the road can look just as good for you, no matter where you are in your journey. If you're not where you want to be, challenge yourself again. Start with one small, non-scale victory and move forward. You're worth it. Bariatric Surgery Success with Dietitian Dr. Susan Mitchell is produced and owned by Practicalories, LLC. All rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host, Dr. Susan Mitchell, or Practicalories, LLC.